You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show podcast, episode 423. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at thejoyjunkie.com slash EP423. You're listening to The Joy Junkie Show, your source for getting your shit together in love and life. Wouldn't it suck if I really talk like that? Without further ado, here's your host, life coach, speaker, all-around badass, Amy E. Smith. Hey, hey, pod people, Amy here, and I am so excited to bring you another episode of the Joy Junkie Show, we are going to be talking to, well, at least I'm going to try to give her a call. Hopefully she picks up. I'm going to give a call to Dr. Valerie Rain, and she is going to talk to us all about something that she discovered called Patriarchy Stress Disorder, or PSD. We're going to get into that uh, very much here in a second, but I wanted to make an announcement and let you know about something that's going to be shifting for the podcast. So after almost nine years of doing this show, I've actually decided to change the name. So as many businesses grow and evolve, so too have I, and I've decided to let go of the Joy Junkie as a moniker largely because I don't fucking talk about joy at all, (laughs) hardly ever. I talk about communication and speaking up for yourself and your worthiness and your enoughness. So starting next week, you will see the brand new name of the podcast. It will be showing up in your feed as the bold-faced truth. And we'll talk more about that next week when it gets, you know, officially unveiled. But I wanted to give you that heads up so you didn't see it in your feed, look around for the joy junkie and go, what the fuck? And in addition to that, my website URL is also going to shift. I'm going to start going by my maiden name as well. So you will be able to find everything that you need over at amygreensmith.com. And that will be the URL for the podcast episodes going forward. So I just wanted to give you that quick heads up. So keep an eye out for that coming next week. I'm excited. I'm super, super excited about it. And I'll tell you a little bit more about the meaning behind the name change. So you won't want to miss that next week. I'm also going to be talking about how to make sure that your goals don't fail. There's some very specific science-backed evidence around how to succeed at goal setting and achievement. So you will definitely want to tune in next week. But this week, let's talk about patriarchy stress disorder. What the fuck? <laughs> so if you have always felt like there's something wrong with you, you're uniquely broken, why can't I just fill in the blank, then this episode is definitely going to have your name all over it. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Valerie. She's a psychologist and a women's health expert who coined this term, patriarchy stress disorder. And if I catch her, I'm definitely going to have her share her story behind how she came to to find this out and call it this specific thing and you'll get to hear all about her per, her personal experience and she has created the only science backed system for helping women achieve their ultimate success happiness and fulfillment by healing the intergenerational trauma of oppression so if you've heard stuff floating around about patriarchy and how we're affected by it, but don't really understand how or in what ways, I really think Dr. Valerie is going to have some info for you that's going to be pretty, pretty mind-blowing. She holds an EDM in psychological counseling from Columbia University and another PhD, just a couple of graduate degrees. (laughs) And her number one Amazon best-selling book, Patriarchy Stress Disorder, The Invisible Inner Barrier to Women's Happiness and Fulfillment has been heralded by reviewers as, quote, the most important body of literary work of our modern times. I cannot say enough good things about this brilliant 
piece of work. She is just an absolute joy. So I am going to give her a call here in a second because one of her major concepts is shifting the narrative in our minds of how much more can I bear, how much more can I carry, and shifting that into how good can it actually get? What a different question that is. How different our lives would be if we didn't look at just surviving them, but actually thriving inside of them. How good can you stand it, basically? So I'm going to give Dr. Valerie a call and see if we can ask her more questions about PSD. Hello. Dr. Valerie, hi, it's Amy Smith. How are you? Oh, hi, Amy. <laughs> so good to hear from you. What's up? Likewise, likewise. So, okay, so I'm over here chatting with the audience, and we've been kind of digging into some topics around uh, stress, the stress cycle. We've been talking about stuff around patriarchal influence. And I thought, okay, I have got to get Dr. Valerie on the line, who literally wrote the book on patriarchy stress disorder. And I was curious if you had a, you know, a handful of minutes where we can discuss some of this stuff. Absolutely. I'm happy to be on the line with okay. you. This is one of my favorite topics. Let's go. Okay, perfect. So it's a good time. Okay, good, good, good. I'm so glad that worked out. So can you start us off with a bit of an origin story? How did you end up looking at this topic of generational trauma and what led you to create this concept and really coin this term that's become incredibly pervasive and important at this time in history of patriarchy stress disorder? Little did I know that I had been living this topic all my life and uh, <laughs> my eternal personal development quest that was defined and led by the question what's wrong with me I just thought it was about fixing myself this question led me on the path of studying psychology and once I had all my degrees I've had years of therapy behind my belt and I was a therapist myself. I had a thriving private practice in New York. I had a beautiful family, a beautiful home. I loved my work. So I, I really felt like I had it all, everything I worked so hard for. And one day I was on the phone with a client when I noticed that I was smiling only with the right side of my face and the left side of my face just hung in there, wow. as did my left arm. And I ended up in the ER with symptoms of a stroke. After scanning me up and down for hours, I ruled out, I was very, very happy and relieved. And I was also very puzzled because they gave me the diagnosis of just stress. I was shocked because I actually did not feel stressed, Amy. I felt exactly the same way I, I had felt probably my entire life. Now that I had some time to think and feel lying in the hospital gurney, I realized that as the security blanket of stress was slipping off, the question, what's wrong with me, was still alive and well, despite all my achievements and checking off the boxes. And I was beginning to feel desperate because at that point I had done literally everything, everything I knew how to do. And I did not know what else I could do. And in that despairing moment, I thankfully had my own clients to look up to and get inspired by because somehow they were shifting out of that disconnection and numbness into the fullness of their lives, no longer questioning what's wrong with me, but actually living authentically and going after their desires. So obviously uh, I was doing something with my clients that I wasn't doing for myself. 
And when I took a look at what that was, I saw that with all of my clients, I was using mind body trauma healing tools. And here is that caveat. Most of my clients predominantly, they would have never identified as having had trauma because they had quote unquote, normal childhoods, normal lives, as did I, which brought me to consider, wait a minute, they were all showing symptoms of trauma, which is the core symptom of trauma is disconnection, disconnection from parts of ourselves, from parts of our bodies, from our fullness, our authenticity, my disconnection had to had to really get pretty loud, uh, shutting down the left side of the side of my body for me to finally notice, well, yeah, looks like you too have trauma. What kind of trauma are we overlooking? That's when the dots began to connect for me. The field of epigenetics was coming out with discoveries that trauma is genetically transmitted and women have been oppressed for thousands of years. Women did not have ownership of our own bodies. We could not love who we loved. We could not marry for love. We could not get a divorce. We did not have uh, legal parental rights, certainly could not make our own money. And our society did not care about what women wanted, like (laughs) throughout patriarchy. Um, It is still very dubious whether or not it does now, but it does a little more. All that has been traumatic for so many generations. And what we have now, Amy, we have a situation that's completely unique. For the first time, women have this opportunity to make our own money, to love who we love, to define our own destinies, to follow our desires. We actually have these opportunities. But the trauma imprints inside in our subconscious are interpreting the opportunities as a threat because historically, all that we authentically desire has been prohibited and punishable for women under patriarchy. And that is a huge, huge factor in the high levels of stress that we experience because the nervous system keeps going unsafe, unsafe, unsafe day in and day out. We can't sleep well. And even if we manage to sleep, we don't feel restored and renewed. Many women uh, experience difficulties around tapping into their sexual desire and pleasure and orgasms into the depths of connection and intimacy with themselves and their partners and having fun with the kids. And of course, we blame ourselves, right? I just need to read more personal development books. And I just need to become a better person. Who am I to complain? My life is so good. What do I want? Right. So we feel guilty for even feeling this way, feeling like something is missing, like our lives are not as happy as we look on paper. They don't feel as good inside. And when I connected these dots, right, between intergenerational trauma of oppression through patriarchy and how we actually feel on a daily basis and discovered what I've termed patriarchy stress disorder, that became the answer to the question of what's wrong. And it's not what's wrong with me because there is nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with anyone. We need to broaden the question. We need to ask a different question. How is this intergenerational trauma shaping our destinies unbeknownst to us? And what can we do about it? Because we can do a lot about it. We can reclaim our destinies from it. It's so interesting to hear you speak of that and thinking about things that are so incredibly routine and observed in our society without question, a perfect example of that is how we, how we approach weddings, right? That it's still not uncommon to wear a white dress that represents your purity, which is also a bullshit concept. And that you are given away 
by a man, as if you are property to be given away, Mm -hmm. that you are now taking the name of somebody else, because obviously you can't have your own autonomy. And so even in things like that, that are highly romanticized, we can see the evidence of that, of that patriarchal influence, that this is just the norm. And we see it in all different levels of oppression, but we can certainly see it with sort of the, the gender gap. I recently had a conversation with my mom where I told her there are so many things I would do differently now if I got married in, in this time period, because I got married in the late nineties. And of course I was going to take my husband's name. And of course my dad was going to give me away. And of course I was going to wear white and have the moniker even of misses that represents to everybody else. Are you available or are you not? Which we don't, Mm -hmm. which we don't ascribe to men in our society. So it's really interesting. And I think groundbreaking that you're bringing up this concept because it's insidious. And it's also really embedded so much in, in our society that we don't even question things like that. Like, of course I'll take the name or of course I'll wear white. We are like fish in water. And that's such a great example. And I totally did that too with my first marriage. And yeah, then I got married a second time and we don't even have the rings, like all of these rituals and there was no white, there was no giving anybody away. There was no taking the name. It was, it, we didn't even want to call it in traditional terms, because the traditional terms are so loaded with all this, all this energetic transmission of what marriage, the institution of marriage has become under patriarchy. I trust that it is not what it wants to be, or is in in its purity. It's to me, it's something very beautiful. It's the union of people, sovereign people on their own terms. Yes. But of course, women have been property for the majority of uh, patriarchy. And yes, they were given away as property. They were traded. There was oftentimes monetary exchange involved as well. And um, outside of us not questioning the, I guess the tokens that come with the tradition, like there's nothing inherently wrong, quote unquote, with wearing a white dress or, or a a ring, or even take, taking a name. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of that. But what does happen is that these events trigger something in our subconscious. And I write about that in my book too, because I looked back at what happened for me when I got married and specifically I unpack my relationship with money. I was very smart and good with money before I got married. And then I, right after the, the ritual took place, something switched in me and I had no idea that was going on, Amy. I had no idea that I had fallen asleep completely like taking a bite of the patriarchy poisoned apple. Mm -hmm. That was me and money. I was making more money than I had ever made. I was just stepping into my career, Uh, but somehow money was slipping through my fingers. I was not building, uh, I was not building wealth in any, in any way. It was, it was very, a, a very rude awakening when, um, I found myself separating with an empty bank account. I was like, what the fuck actually happened? Right. It's, and it's scary because it's not that, you know, it, it's not something that I was conscious of and this falling asleep, so to speak, or being kind of hypnotized by the patriarchal norms. It happens in so many different ways. So sometimes women lose touch with their sexuality because it's not something that patriarchy endorses for a married woman. 
That's right. right? Because uh, women's pleasure, women's what? Like women are not here for their pleasure. Women are here to serve their husband and their children. And again, that's not something that we consciously sign up for, but that subconscious programming gets activated. And then we oftentimes, like women, feel the light go out. Uh, they don't feel as sexual anymore. They don't feel as free anymore. And, and they lose themselves. And it happens uh, not, not just through marriage. I don't want to paint marriage as some kind of a, you know, a trap. Motherhood also activates a lot of these things because, sure. yeah, again, patriarchal motherhood what's expected of you. You're no longer your own person. You got to sacrifice. Again, there's more and more loss of that sovereignty that happens through the patriarchal milestones. Again, all of this can be beautiful. Partnership, marriage can be absolutely riveting and motherhood and whatever you choose to do, right? And to get there, it's very important to start with awareness of how these subconscious patterns may be playing out. And it's not that easy. Like I was completely blind to mine um, until I was not, right? Right. Yeah. Before we go too much further, I wanted to take a quick moment to give a shout out to our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Shocker, I'm a huge fan of therapy. I have a personal motto that if you think you don't need therapy, you probably need therapy. Because without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is genuinely hard. The good news is therapy actually really does work. But what is it exactly? Well, it can truly be whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling super motivated right now. Hello, who among us, right? And maybe you want some tools to help or maybe you're feeling insecure in your relationships or in your workplace or maybe you're just not dealing with stress very well. Whatever it is that you need, it is time to stop being so ashamed of normal human struggles. It's time that you feel better because you deserve to be genuinely happy. And now you don't really have to worry about finding an in-person therapist that's near you or in your town because BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to even see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people, y'all, it's been over 2 million people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. As I mentioned, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the Joy Junkie Show podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash thejoyjunkie. That is betterhelp.com slash thejunkie joy junkie. Now let's jump back into the show. There's been some awakening that's happened for me in the last couple of years, specifically around the patriarchy and religion. And I feel as though I have surmounted a lot of religious trauma and what I would actually constitute as abuse, but up until really recently and navigating it and digging deeper and, and searching out uh, experts and authorities, I, I kind of just would say, oh, I just, I don't believe that anymore. Right. And, yeah. you know, oh, I left the religion that I was raised in at 20 years ago, 25 years ago, but it's only been recently that I've gone oh my gosh, that dogma and doctrine was actually highly, highly abusive. A lot of the reasoning being exactly what you're talking about. So I'm super curious what your thoughts are on this. My yeah. personal stance now is that a majority of the systemic patriarchal influence that we have, even, even around the traditions of weddings, right? That we have in today's society has been highly influenced by religion, primarily the various sects of Christianity and how women are portrayed in the Bible in particular. And I can absolutely understand what you're talking about purity culture and disconnection from your body. And I'm a part of a, a handful of different groups 
who have left Christianity and left highly evangelical upbringings and everybody has sex issues. Every fucking person has something at play with trying to connect back to their body and orgasm and arousal and what mm-hmm. a quote good girl is or, or whatnot. And that's just one tiny little area. So yeah. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the correlation between the patriarchy and the influence of religion on our society? Mm. It's so painful because here again, we have something that at its core is a deep search perhaps of a human being for greater meaning, uh, greater connection with something greater than us, that organizing principle, that love. It's something that's supposed to elevate us to our greater consciousness and potential and connect us as humans. However, as we look at history of world religions, they have been used to separate people. They have been used um, as a vehicle where political agendas, patriarchal agendas were sold to people under the guise of, yeah, yeah, you, you get to die for, you know, something greater than you. Mm-hmm. However, that had nothing to do with spirituality. That had everything to do with political power, colonization, and all, all that mess. So mm-hmm. I know it's a very tender topic, and I want to talk about it with a lot of respect for people's actual desire for their spiritual, authentic spiritual expression and connection and separate that out from a tool of patriarchal oppression that has been just so effective and so effective Mm -hmm. at disempowering people. I know that's not the separation that you know, everybody is ready to make. This is just how how I, I see it. We have a lot of women, a number of women who come to this work. They discover the book, they read the book, they resonate with um, patriarchy, stress disorder, and uh, other intergenerational traumas. And they begin to recognize and unpack the trauma of uh, having grown up in a particular sect or a particular oppressive religious paradigm. And it's a big unpacking. It's a huge reclamation. And oftentimes that involves revisiting everything that they were taught about right and wrong about themselves. And it's really big and it's really, it's really necessary that unpacking to reclaim who you are, reclaim your authenticity And also reclaim your basic fundamental goodness. This is, this is so painful and this is very abusive. And I, I, I resonate with that definition because when a system or a person pushes, pushes the buttons of their followers or, um, people they're in relationship with in such ways that it makes people feel like shit. It convinces people that they're not good. They're fundamentally flawed, but through that portal, they can find salvation. Abusive relationships work in exactly that same way. The abuser will convince if it's a heterosexual relationship with a man, which most of them happen to be, the man will convince a woman that she is worthless, right? that she's not good enough. She will never find anybody better. And there's a cycle of abuse, you know, where, where he then makes her feel kind of okay temporarily, but then more abuse happens. And, and our systems in our society are set up in, in very similar ways. They convince us that we are not good enough. Inherently we're flawed. We, we're sinners. And then, yeah, we can only get gain, something we we can only become good if we follow these tenets and the price is high the price is so so high and we so need to heal as a society reclaiming our basic fundamental goodness this is such such a huge thing that oftentimes these you know patriarchal religious practices have robbed people of and particularly women Yes, particularly women. Women have been vilified, demonized, 
from day one. Like we don't even need to go into all these stories, but basically <laughs> yes. the foundational stories portray women as the source of all evil. And again, we may we may not buy into that consciously when they say, you know, I don't subscribe to any of that. I don't believe any of that, but subconsciously, and it is in the culture subconsciously, we have all been born into this invisible inner prison where the culture itself holds women as not enough, not good enough, actually fundamentally very wrong. And so then we find ourselves on this quest <laughs> for personal development and self-improvement. And we don't even realize oftentimes that most of the stuff that we are running into is not even ours at all. It did not start with us. It has nothing to do with us or, you know, right. And yeah, we're definitely not flawed in, in all, all these ways. Yeah. So it's really big. Yeah. I, I didn't even expect to go into all of this and I'm like trying to <laughs> pump the brakes because you and I can, yeah, go down a lot of rabbit holes there. It's definitely a slippery slope when you look at religion, but it's, it is something that for me, I feel convicted it, very similarly to when I learned how we in the U S gain our meat sources. I couldn't unsee that. And I was like, well, won't be eating that type of meat mm -hmm. anymore, <laughs> you know? And I feel like now I cannot unsee the all of the systems of oppression being influenced by what we were founded on, which was this very stringent dogma that we still see permeated in, in every area of our life. And as somebody who works in worthiness, right. Who, who is constantly telling people you don't have to prove your worth. And I know that's a huge, huge piece of your work in the book. And that's the whole that's the, how systems of oppression work, whether if we're talking about gender or if we're talking about the queer community, or if we're talking about racism, or if we're talking about fat phobia, the oppressed party stays oppressed if they believe, if they continue to buy into that bullshit narrative that the oppressor is forcing on that you are not enough. You are not worthy or you're not good. You know, that's a huge piece of what you were pointing to just a second ago, that at your core, you're flawed, you're damaged, um, you're broken, and you need fixing in some way. So I often think it's such a fierce fucking act of rebellion and of the resistance to actually believe that you are worthy because it fucks up the whole paradigm <laughs> that tells us that we're supposed to not like I, my body isn't thin enough, or I'm not a good enough mom, or I'm not sexy enough, or I'm not chaste and pure enough. Like pick, pick a, a moniker, right? I unpack this notion of worthlessness when I talk about the core wound of PSD, patriarchy stress disorder. It's the, the foundation of um, the patriarchal uh, system is that a woman is worth less than a man. Just similarly to racism and white supremacy, people of color are worth less than wide-bodied people, right? That's the foundation of racism. And the foundation of speciesism, um, human you, humans have domain over all these animals and we can justify animal abuse because they are less than us, right? It gives me very deep chills because that's that's been the narrative of our own, our, our whole society for, for a very long time. And I think this reclamation of our worth is absolutely crucial and it takes undoing also the oppressor in us calling ourselves out like you had this moment of awakening with the meat sources and you asked yourself like can I participate in this right and there was a shift so undoing where we are showing up as oppressors where we are participating in white supremacy in speciesism in in patriarchy 
when I talk about patriarchy, I don't mean men against women. I mean, women uphold patriarchy uh, hugely, hugely. And it's a whole other conversation. It may be a little shocking. Like, why would women uphold patriarchy? Well, um, it's like Stockholm syndrome. It's uh, siding with the oppressor it, because then we, if we play by the rules, then we can get the power. And it's been the thing of survival for, for if safety and survival for us for, for millennia, but now it doesn't have to be. And so this is a big awakening to where we actually have more power now. We don't have to participate in these systems. But here is the divide between what we consciously know and, and understand to what our subconscious knows and understands. And this is huge. I, I tell this story in the book, the story of Leslie. It's not her real name, but that's kind of um, what we're going with in the story. The story is 100% real though. So Leslie uh, got on a call with me to talk about PSD, to talk about you know, she was aware that she was being affected and she, she wanted to get on the healing journey or, or find out more about it. And she shared with me that she was planning on leaving the corporate world and um, she was working on making her business profitable. And she was absolutely brilliant at what she did. And consciously, she very much believed in herself and what she had to offer and something to show for it. For example, she invested in a very high level mastermind with somebody whose name everybody knows and was in this room. So obviously she consciously knew her worth. At one of the mastermind meetings, she shared something and then another entrepreneur came up to her in, during the break and said, wow, I'm so impressed with how you think and I could really use your help. I'm working on this project. I'd love to hire you as a consultant and I would compensate you um, to the tune of over $350,000. I think it was 360 something. I got really excited. I, I love seeing women get paid for their genius. And I asked her, so how did that work out? Uh, what happened? And then she was like, uh, what? Well, the consulting project, the consulting project. So after a while, it became painfully obvious that Leslie actually did not register that this was a real offer, that the money and the offer were on the table because it was such a reflection of her worth that her internal matrix could not process because it touched that wound of worth lessness instilled in her by patriarchy and racism over the generations. And it just, it created that cognitive dissonance and she went into flight. You know, when we are confronted with a stressful um, event, we go into fight, flight, freeze, we go into appease. Sometimes we go into dissociation and somatization also. So after our conversation, we unpacked that, she understood, it all made sense. So she actually went back to the entrepreneur. The offer was still on the table. And that brought it home to her it, and it freaked her out so much. So she got back to me. She said, I'm not going to continue down this road of unpacking PhD. And I did not take the offer that was made to me either. And her conscious mind created stories around it. Like, well, it's not exactly in the area of my expertise, but really what was going on underneath was that wound of worthlessness could not allow her to take that which would reflect her worth, could not. And so subconsciously, we may go through our lives rejecting money, rejecting love and intimacy, rejecting relationships that would be reflecting our wholeness, our unconditional beauty, power, and worth. And that is the core of what PSD and other generational trauma disrupts in our lives. It does not allow us to live lives 
to the fullest. And that is the biggest motivator in me. Yes, I mean, women, and it's not only women, it's really people across the gender spectrum, but women tend to be more motivated in <laughs> unpacking and addressing this. So not only do we not get to live our lives to the fullest and get to know our own genius, but the world misses out on our genius. Uh, we would not be in the mess that we're in had women's genius been embraced. Warren Buffett uh, said that in the documentary, Becoming Warren Buffett, and I was actually very impressed with his feminist thinking. He said, I have two sisters. They're every bit as brilliant as I am with better personalities. And the only difference is that growing up, I, oh, they received the message that their futures were limited. And I received the message that the sky was the limit. And this message is not a conscious one. It sits in our subconscious and it makes decisions for us. When I was working on the book, I came across a lot of research in the field of neuroscience that shows that our actions are decided in our subconscious. Our actions are decided in our subconscious. The conscious mind catches up later to rationalize, oh yeah, I'm not going to take this opportunity because it's not quite in my zone of genius, or I'm not going to go for that speaking engagement because it's conflicts with some other dates, or I'm not going to submit that proposal because blah, 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 blah. But the real reason is deeper and it's hidden. And so that's why healing PSD begins with awareness. I call this waking up in prison. So we can begin to recognize, yes, there is nothing wrong with us. And what is limiting us and holding us back from living the life that we desire are these traumas because success, happiness, and fulfillment feel unsafe to these parts of our subconscious. It's so simple and it's so complex at the same time. It is. It's interesting. So I, I work as a hypnotherapist in addition to, to coaching. And so we talk extensively about that dissonance between the subconscious and the conscious faculty of the yeah, mind. Yeah. So if you're out there and you have, unbeknownst to you, adopted this belief as a child, usually prior to around the age of eight, before the critical factor, as you know, starts to develop. And you just are highly, highly suggestible up until that, that age. I mean, you, depending on who you are, oftentimes we remain suggestible, but what that means is we don't have that discernment to come in and go, wait a minute, should I believe that I'm enough? Is that a fair assessment of what little girls can do or what little boys or is there, are there only two gender, you know, all of that stuff we don't, we don't unpack or look at it. We just adopt it. And what we tend to adopt with all of that is this belief that we are less than worth less, like you said, and then we find evidence to support that. So <laughs> with what you're talking about, it's so interesting. It's exactly what I do with my clients and students. Cause we look at, okay, I can't tell you how many times they go, they consciously are like, I know that I should feel like I'm enough. I consciously know that I know that I have the skills, but I'm like, yeah, but guess what? You're the conscious faculty of the mind is what maybe five, 10% of your mind's power, a majority of it is your subconscious, which houses your, your belief systems. That's what's going to be running the show. So that's such a great example that you shared about the instance in your book with that gal who showed up in a way to align her behavior with what she subconsciously believed. Yeah. So one of the things I tell people all the time is there's nothing wrong with you. There's only something wrong with the belief system that we can change. That's malleable. That's shiftable, which is great news because we adopt that belief typically early on without consciousness, right? It's just seeps right on in there. Yes, absolutely, Amy. And there is an aspect of intergenerational transmission yes. of these beliefs because a lot of them did not start 
the bulk of them did not start with us, did not start with us absorbing it in our childhood. They were transmitted from our parents, etc. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about another um, another client whose story is in the book, and with her, that belief and that subconscious. I I hesitate calling it a belief. I guess it is a fair way, a fair word. Uh, but it's something, it's a belief that we don't know we have, right? It's a setting. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a That's setting right. in this system that we're not aware of. So her setting was, again, along the lines of the wound of worthlessness. She really desired to uh, form a strong partnership, to get married, to start a family. And yet she was attracting uh, men into her life who were just not at all on her level. And then the relationship would fall apart and she would blame herself. And then she would lower the bar because, well, if that didn't work out with somebody who was not already on her level of ambition or taking care of himself, she needed to maybe go go with somebody who like did not have a job and like uh, had had, like addiction issues and all, all of that stuff and was just a hot mess because she did not deserve better. Right. None of that was conscious because consciously she had read her resume and she, she knew her worth at work. The same thing was going on where she was working really, really hard. She was a star employee, but she was not paid well. And she was not even acknowledged for her contributions, but she would not leave that job because she had a story that she was conscious of. The story was like, it's convenient and it's, you know, I may not find another job that would have the flexibility, blah, blah, blah. So once we got to that core wound and we employed mind, body practices to create safety around love, around being seen, around success and recognition, Oh, everything changed. She uh, was able to connect with a person who saw her wholeness, who celebrated her unconditional worth. And of course, that triggered deeper levels of wounding. And she tried to sabotage that relationship every step of the way. But we just kept on working and, and digging out deeper layers. And with work, the same thing happened where she was able to switch jobs and be celebrated and uh, make a lot more money and have more flexibility. That invisible in the prison that is just telling us this is just how it is. This is this is life. The magic trick is how we elevate ourselves out of these parameters. But it's like telling fish, you know, this water ain't all, you know, there is to to life. It's not that easy to do. So hopefully conversations like you and I are having right now, um, conversations that I unpack in the book and just being in situations that catalyze the experience of the prison and what we are tolerating and how our subconscious is sabotaging our deepest authentic desires, that can awaken us out of the prison. Of course, the journey only begins there. It doesn't end because once we wake up, we begin to recognize then what is holding us back. I call them prison guards, the trauma adaptations, our thoughts and how these show up in our, on the physical plane. And of course, in our actions and choices. And then eventually we, we are able to dig out deeper levels of trauma and And as the final stage on this journey, we create capacity to be with the ever-expanding good. How good can it get? Uh, More money, more love, more more health, wellness, and whatever your values are, whatever is authentic to you, because maybe like not everybody wants the same things, of course, but to increase tolerance of the good (laughs) is surprisingly challenging. 
because that is not something that we practice generations after generations, but that is necessary to end self-sabotage and to liberate ourselves out of the prison. And in my experience doing this work, it's most effectively accomplished in community, just like all our traumas are received in the community, a community that is actively breaking out of these invisible in the prisons together, um, everything just goes so, so much faster. I could not agree more. It's interesting. I often will say, I tell my students all the time, awareness is the win. Awareness is the win. And I'm really hearing that from you that that's where we need to start is we need to heighten, heighten the awareness around all of these instances and situations where there's such a strong patriarchal influence that we just have gone that's the way that it is. That's just how it goes. I can't underline that enough that it's kind of like turning on a light in a dark room where as soon as you open up that room, you see piles of shit in one corner and then stacks of things in another corner. And it's, oh my gosh, I've got this trauma over here that I need to work with. And then, oh my gosh, religion over here. And, and, but it's like, once you turn that light on, you really can't turn it off. You just have to keep going through each of those piles and doing the work and cleaning it up. But it it was really interesting. I'm curious if you have ever heard this particular episode that was aired on NPR. I want to say it was hidden brain. I'll look for it and I'll put it in the show notes, but it was fascinating. It may have been invisibilia. I'll find it. But there was a couple who committed to raising their child. They had a, a a girl, she assigned female at birth and still identifies as female, as far as I understand, but they committed to raising her without any, as much as they could muster without any gender influence. So no frilly dresses, no, um, colors that were associated with being a girl or what. And they had her, Um, basically just make all of her own decisions based off of her intuition, like what she wanted to play with, what she wanted to do, the colors she was attracted to, the clothes she wanted to wear. And I'll tell you what, they interviewed this gal. I think she was probably about 12 years old. I have never heard a child speak with so much fucking confidence and self-assuredness and power. And just, I can do whatever the hell I want to do in this world. I was like, these parents are onto something. Do you, have you heard that episode? Do you know what I'm referring to? I do not, but I'm so curious to check that out. It's a bold experiment. It was. And it, they got so much kickback from the families that were like, please, please let us just mail her a frilly dress, <laughs> take a picture and send us back. And, and they were like, that's the problem. If you can meet a dog on the street and not know what gender it is and find that out later, you can deal with not knowing what a gender is of a child. Like you can handle it. It's going to be, you don't need a frilly fucking dress. So it was, it's fascinating. I'll, I'll be sure to send it over to you, but thank you so much for your time so much good stuff. And I agree with you that even just entertaining, listening to concepts like this or diving in and reading your book and learning more about it, you start to recognize these patterns so that you can choose something different. And that really is where it starts. So where can people get more of you? How can they find out about the book? Where do they go? Tell them all the directions. A great place to start would be to Either download the first chapter of the book, which you can do on my website, drvalerie.com forward slash book. You can download uh, a PDF or uh, on audio, which I'm so excited about the audio book being out. And you can purchase the audio book there as well. And please don't stop there because if this resonates for you, information is great, but transformation is even better. We have an important event that currently we're doing about three times a year. We call it the Thriving Experience. It's a three-day event. Tickets start at free. And it's a unique opportunity to translate the learning from the book into a lived experience of identifying exactly where the walls of your invisible prison are, what your prison guards look, sound, and act like. 
and map out that journey to freedom and not in isolation. I don't think we can accomplish a whole lot on this journey in isolation, but in the company of women from all over the world, we can actually experience and witness each other and recognize beyond the shadow of a doubt that truly there is nothing wrong with us, that although we grew up in different countries and circumstances and conditions, we have experienced that same thing. We are all... um, we are all experiencing the symptoms of PSD and we probably have all thought that these were the symptoms of us being broken and something being wrong with us. So it's a great opportunity to come out of the silos of something is wrong with me and actually map out the journey from how much can I bear to how good can it get? So the thriving experience, the thrivingexperience.com is where you can learn more and register to join us. The next one is coming up in January. Nice. Oh, that's fantastic. I think people are going to be so pumped to, to check that out. This is incredibly important, really remarkable and brilliant work that you're throwing into this world. And I could not be more grateful for the work that you're doing. I'm so glad you were available and you picked up the phone and we could have this amazing chat. You are such a gift, Dr. Valerie. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Amy. Thank you so much for calling me and uh, having this amazing conversation. Of course. And I will let you go and I will talk with you later, my friend. I look forward to that. Bye-bye. Whew, there you have it. Dr. Valerie is such a gem. I do so hope that you will take her up on her event that is coming up here in January. Be sure to check the show notes for all of her information, including where you can find her book, which I highly suggest you pick up. And next week, I will be back in your feed. We're going to be talking about goal setting and achieving, as I mentioned earlier. And we're going to be looking at ways to make sure that your goals actually get accomplished. And there is, there's some very solid research on why some goals get attained and some do not. So make sure you tune in next week and we will be unveiling the brand new podcast rollout with the new name and the new art and all of that good stuff. Nothing major is going to change as far as the content. So you can expect all of the same deliverables. And I'm sending you all so very much love. I hope you had a beautiful holiday if that's something that you celebrate. And I'm thrilled to be talking to you in the new year. So we'll see you around these parts next week. Here is to loving and living your most badass life. I'm hoping that that was really helpful for you. It definitely opened up my eyes to some of the ways that I can shift who I am being instead of constantly thinking about the future and hustle and checking off boxes, which can be easy to do. It can be so easy to get stuck in the doing, especially because it's kind of glorified in our society. We are always talking about hustling and we wear busyness kind of as a badge of honor instead of illuminating who we are and just being present and in alignment with the things that we are doing, that we're really being intentional. (laughs) So hoping that's helpful for you. Be sure to check out all of Radia's links in the show notes here today. 
And next week, I am going to be talking about how to manage some of this fucking holiday stress. How do I recover from this? How are the way, what are the ways that I can get connected to what really matters, take care of myself? It tends to be highly triggering for many people, depending on your relationship with family or even with religion or holidays in general. So stay tuned. That's what I will have on the show for you in your feed next week. And until then, please have an amazing week. I would love any or all (laughs) reviews that you are willing to leave, specifically on Apple Podcasts. That tends to be the biggest platform. And the more positive reviews that I get, the more that I have visibility to a broader audience. It would mean the world to me if you took just a moment to do that. And links to know how to do that are also in the show notes if you need a little bit of direction there. Sometimes you have to jump through a few hoops. So that would be much appreciated. I will see you around these parts next week. Here is to loving and living your most badass life.